Tonight I'd like to speak to you uh, in just a general sense about some things that have been on my heart because I think that uh, there are certain things that stand out uh, very clearly as to the scripture's method of dealing with things. Uh, and I think that uh, sometimes we get a little confused. Uh, there are several things I think that may confuse us by uh, some of the things or the preaching we might hear sometimes. And uh, it always uh, bothers me when I think that uh, the fact that someone has become a Christian, you know, they found Christ as their personal savior, that they're misled uh, into thinking then that uh, everything is automatically right from that point on in all that we think or do. Uh, and uh, this happens often. Uh, there are some people who really think this is the case, that once you become a Christian, uh, everything's perfectly plain and clear and the path will be a rosy one and there'll be no problems from this point on. And uh, I have to say that this might be the opinion you would get if, uh, if you went to some rally sometimes and uh, glib phrases are used about uh, salvation and uh, phrases like knowing Christ is a ball. Uh, you know, I hear this kind of phraseology. I don't understand it personally, uh, how this can be used in this sense, knowing Christ is a ball. As I, as I understand the message of Christ, it's the message of the cross. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. I don't think that's a ball, personally. I think this is the most serious thing that we can talk about. And uh, when I hear things like that that uh, uh, have been given, impressions are given sometimes. As I said this morning, sometimes an evangelist will, will come to a church and leave nothing but problems. Not all of them, but some of them. Because uh, they come, they know they're only going to be there for four or five days, and so... They unload all that they think and uh, sort of make salvation, you know, a flippant thing. You can come and get saved. And I'll never forget when I first found Christ, I, I went to some meetings after I found Christ. With I, I was uh, very sincerely wanting to see some of my friends find Christ as their personal Savior and uh, bringing them with me to meetings. And uh, I'll never forget I brought a... a a Catholic fellow from my office at that time to some meetings. I won't mention the evangelist's name, but uh, we went to the meetings and uh, after about the third meeting, uh, an invitation was given and this Italian Catholic boy that was with me raised his hand for Christ. And uh, really his heart was touched. So the evangelist said from the platform, now those who found Christ as their Savior tonight, uh, uh, it would be well if you come up and I'll give you a little book. And, uh, and uh, he went on and on. So after the meeting, uh, I went up with him 
and went over and introduced him to him. And he just says, uh, praise the Lord, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And he rattled something off and he shook his hand, said, wonderful, praise the Lord, and that was it, you see. And uh, it so shook this fellow, the, the glibness of it, he thought he had done a very serious thing when he found Christ as his Savior. And then it seemed that after that, that was the end. I never got him back to a meeting again. I invited him the next night and the night after, and he told me frankly, he said, uh, the message he gave, I listened to, and it did talk of the cross of Christ, but then to go up to him and find him in such a rush that he couldn't at least sit down with me a few minutes if my soul was at stake, this turned my heart, you see. So we have to be very, very careful, and uh, we shouldn't press people with the idea that when you find Christ as your personal Savior, you come into some magical atmosphere, you know, uh, that this is, is going to be completely different now, that the, uh, the whole thing uh, will be perfect from here on in. Uh, now, you know Christ never said that. He said, you will receive my righteousness, but he said, in this world. Remember, you will have tribulation. He says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. For when you come to me, there'll be differences between fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and husbands and wives. So that if the truth is known, uh, when we find Christ as our personal Savior, it's not that glib approach that everything's rosy from here on in, you're on the glory road and you'll never have another burden in your life. I don't want to shake anybody that's just been recently saved. There is that great uh, joyous heart that comes when you first come to Jesus Christ as your Savior. I wouldn't shake that uh, for anything in the world. But I want to say this, that as time goes on, you will face the same things that all other Christians have to face in this world, Although we've been saved, remember all that Jesus says, Father, I would not that they be taken out of the world, but that thou wouldst keep them from sin, from evil. You see? He says I, it would be necessary to take them out of the world if they're going to have perfection. But I would that they might be able to walk in this world circumspectly. And so false impressions like this can really hurt. Uh, the fact that our relationship to God has been made right is one thing, but to think that because it's been made right, everything on earth from here on in is going to be a rosy road. Now, I'd have to tell you, this would shake you very deeply when the first trials come and you don't understand it. Uh, if it were true, may I say this, if it were true, that when you came to Christ as your personal Savior, and from there on in, through some magical formula, everything was going to be perfect, there need never have been an epistle written. Mark that. For every epistle deals with your burdens and your trials and the sins of the Christian. And we have to realize that, you see. If we don't realize it, it will shake us terribly, especially if we expect perfection in others. This is important.
You know, if there's one thing, Christian, sister, and brother tonight, that you must never do is to get your eyes on another Christian and to look for perfection in him or her. You're in for burdens and problems. Remember, there's only one to look at. You set your affections, your gaze, upon Christ. Because the minute you get your eyes on another Christian, you know, it, it always amazes me when someone says to me, it shows so little growth in the things of Christ when a person makes a statement, I don't go to church anymore because Mrs. So-and-so insulted me. Or I, I don't do this because uh, there's a feeling growing between us two. Well, I thought the feeling was between you and Christ. That's why you come, you see? Isn't this it? In other words, why do you worship? Do you worship because people are friendly or unfriendly? Or do you worship because it's a little bit of a nice prestige to be in the church or in the community? Or do you worship because you have a vertical relationship to Jesus Christ? And in him you find perfection. In him you find all the beauty and all the glory. Don't get your eyes on another Christian. I don't care who it is, even your own wife or husband. Don't look to them to make you a good Christian. You are a Christian and in love with Christ, not looking for perfections in anybody else because looking in your own heart, you see the imperfections within yourself. So the number one thought was that we must be careful that we uh, don't think that when we find Christ, and young people, I have to say that to you, if... I can judge your faith by who you're looking at. If you're looking at others, your faith is weak. If you're looking at Jesus, your faith is strong. It's a simple criterion, that's all. So never look at anybody else, never say so-and-so gossips or so-and-so is not a good Christian or they failed me terribly. Always remember that little sign, Jesus never fails. You never have to expect failure with him. So if you keep your eyes on Christ, you'll see the blessed difference. And of course, too, there'd be no exhortations in the Scripture if everything was perfect, would there? No exhortations. Why would we need exhortations? If we can turn out so well, we don't have to be exhorted by God for anything. But you find that the Scriptures are filled with this, and Paul is directing those who are preaching to exhort with all long-suffering. Exhort, exhort, exhort. Week by week, day by day, exhortation. We all need it. And if you look in the Scriptures, you find that's continually going on. First Peter 1.15 But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in all manner of life. Exhortation. If you were holy because you were saved, it wouldn't have to exhort you to be holy. He's continually exhorting you. Be ye holy. This is the life I want you to lead. And he says, be ye holy in all manner of conversation, in every part of your life, not just in, in one part of the life. Or in 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, come ye out from among them and be ye separate. Exhortation, see? He says there are Christians who are fooling around with the world. He says you've got to come out from them. Otherwise, he wouldn't, as I said, we wouldn't have one epistle 
if when you were saved, everything was perfect. If people came into Franklin Avenue Baptist Church to find a perfect church, they're foolish. I praise God for the good church we've got. But to look for perfection in all of the people, in all of us, would be pure folly. We have to see and know the differences there are between us in personality and characteristics and everything. But God marvelously blends us together into the body of Christ and has used us as a church to preach the gospel, to win souls to Jesus Christ, and to see this ministry, this lighthouse build in the section of Long Island. But it's all been of God's grace. It's not been of us, you see. He's molded us together. And as each one comes into this congregation, you know that that's, that's one thing that the deacons and the pastor impress upon you. We've had no burdens and no troubles and no cantankerousness and no strife in this church, and we expect the same from each one coming into the fellowship. Well, that's, that's it, you see. That's it. That's the base of our fellowship. It's love. If there's no love, there's no fellowship. Hereby shall all men know that you're my disciples. Why? In that ye, what? Love one another. This is the witness which we have. So the exhortations are tremendous. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean, and I will receive you and will be a father to you and ye shall be my sons, and ye shall be my daughters. But you see what he's saying, if you want this relationship of sons and daughters, I've made you a son by faith in Jesus Christ. But I have to be frank with you, God is saying, some sons don't live like sons. And I want to be a father to the sons and daughters that belong to me. There's a only way you'll be this way to me is when you come out from among them and be separate and stop touching the unclean. Stop getting involved. You know, I had written down a while ago, or I guess a couple of years ago, as long as the eyes, the ears, and as a result the heart and the imaginations are not stirred by licentious reading or pornographic gazing, the conscience, the law written by God in the soul, will hold man's sinful propensities in check. But engage in these, and I'm talking to Christians, engage in these things and all hell will break forth on your soul. The inner balance is lost. Holy desires placed within man become debased desires. You see, holy desires can become debased. Normal longings can become abnormal cravings and lusts. If you allow things to ply into your mind, and I want to tell you, it takes a lot of guarding for a Christian today to keep away from pornography. Boy, I took... You know, I really, I felt burden for you men. I uh, had to go into the doctor again on, on Friday and I took the Long Island Railroad. And I have to say, 
it burdened my heart. Uh, I haven't been on a Long Island Railroad for a long, long time. And 30 years ago, it looked better than it did when I got on the other day, let me tell you. Couldn't see out of a window. I honestly got on the railroad with sort of a thought, you know, well, I might enjoy this. I'll go to the Brooklyn thing, it takes the L, I can look out the window. Well, I couldn't look out any windows. They were so dirty you couldn't see outside. And then uh, on my trip home, uh, first there's a fight in the car between the conductor and a man. So then they got to stop the thing in East New York and get the police department. Then the man ran away before the police came. Then they start out of East New York, and then they get uh, stops. I thought everything was clear. I said, now we'll go clear through, and then the announcement comes as a train stalled in front of us. And so two hours from Brooklyn out here, and I really, I felt burdened. But what I want to say is this. I couldn't help but notice on both ads in the train, ads on subway stations, books in the newsstands. Let me tell you, when I was a young man, it had closed every single one of them as selling pornography. And yet today it's perfectly all right. Perfectly all right. You can sell anything on the stands. Now, what I'm saying is when your eyes are allowed, Christian, to gaze upon these things, a Christian must guard himself. Woman or man, it doesn't make any difference. Remember, Paul says, if ye walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul consents to the lust of the flesh are there because you've still got flesh, but he says you won't fulfill it if you're walking in the Spirit of God. Be entirely different because you're walking in the Spirit. And so holy desires can be displaced and become debased desires. And normal longings can become abnormal cravings and lusts if we feast our minds and our eyes on pornography and filth and the garbage of the world. That which God made a thing of beauty for those joined together, as I've been speaking about by marriage by him, becomes the destruction of the soul and the end of fellowship with Jesus Christ. And we have to be so careful that we're not swept up by all of this libertinism. This world has become a great libertine place, remember. Libertinism is running amok. You know, I see those things, but then I have men tell me, you haven't seen anything. If you were to go in New York and go to Broadway and 42nd Street and you saw these things, you wouldn't believe it today, the things that are going on. And so the exhortations of God are direct to us. It's going to be a battle. It's going to be a conflict. Young people, when I talk to you of Christ, I'm calling it to conflict not calling you to a rosy road. Let me tell you, it takes real intestinal fortitude to be a Christian who's living for Jesus Christ in this kind of a world we're living in. 
And so we're not to be swept up with that idea, you know, that everything is rosy. Once you're saved, you don't have to worry about a thing. Everything's fine. Everything will turn out all right. Well, you'll get to heaven. But on the road, let me tell you, there's a lot of places you can wander away to and be far off from God. So be careful, Christian. You're not above it. Remember, it says, pride cometh before the fall. And we're never to think that we'll be on temptation. The devil is just waiting. So that brings me to the second thought that I have. That is this, that the fact that a man has become a Christian or a woman or a young person has become a Christian, instead of being a rosy road, is going to raise problems which he never had before. It's going to cause problems which he never had before. Uh, things that you never thought of before. And you know, it can be a tragedy, really. Uh, take the case, let's say, of a wife. Maybe there's some here tonight, or a husband. It wouldn't make any difference. But here you come to Christ. You're at a meeting. You come to Christ. You find him as your personal Savior. You're, the joy in your heart is tremendous within you. Say it's a wife, and she has a husband who's unsaved. Well, she finds Christ, and the first thought of her heart is, this is a brand new life now. Uh, immediately, you say, well, of course now I'm free. Now I begin to understand life differently. And the gospel has told me that there's neither barbarian nor Scythian, we read tonight, neither male nor female. And so here she is now, a new creature in Jesus Christ. And uh, she says, now I have an understanding that my husband doesn't have about God. I found Christ as my personal Savior. And uh, the danger here is that the wife then goes home, misinterprets the whole thing, so that instead of being an assistance to her husband, she upsets the whole marriage relationship. She's found Christ and now she has knowledge of God. She has knowledge of Christ, her husband doesn't. And she upsets the whole relationship of a husband and wife. How do I know that? It's happened. All the things that, you know, over the years, 20 years are coming up, over the years, the things that I've had to deal with like this, like I'll never forget one of the women who was saved here at church, had an unsaved husband. So she was real, you know, fireball. They moved away so you wouldn't even know who it is. But she was a real fireball for the Lord. So she came, oh, about two months after she was saved, she came into my office and she was in tears. I said, what's the matter? Oh, she said, I have been working on my husband, but I am getting nowhere. I think we're going to break up. And I said, I'm a little afraid of two words I heard. She said, what? I said, working on. I said, tell me what you're doing. And she said, well, you know, when I got saved, she said, God freed me from every habit I had. 
completely. She said, I used to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day, gone. Used to have my drinks with him in the evening, highballs, all gone. And she says, ever since I've been saved, when he comes home at night, I say, throw those cigarettes away. No more drinking in this house. And I said, and he's ready to leave you, isn't he? She looked at me, she said, well, what do you mean? And I said, who ever told you to deal with a husband that way? I said, what you should have been is a more loving wife and more attentive wife than ever before to show what Christ meant to you and not flaunt what happened to you to him, but to show him that something wonderful had happened in your heart. Well, she looked at me and she said, well, isn't it proper? He shouldn't smoke. I said, well, smoking isn't sending him to hell. She said, well, he shouldn't drink. I said, drinking isn't sending him to hell. His lack of faith in Jesus Christ is that, and he'll have no change in his desires until he finds what you found, and then his desires may change. But you're trying to legalize him out of these things, tell him he can't do this and he can't do that. As I said this morning, the law, the law, the law, see? The law is a ministry of condemnation and of death, making rules. This isn't for the Christian. You know, if you listen to some Christians, you think we're all like peas in a pod. When you get saved, everybody acts the same. It's not true. We're all different. We're not peas in a pod. Aren't you glad that God's put so much variety in us? How wonderful. Wouldn't it be terrible if the minute you got saved, you all were just placed in your little position, you know, and you acted like automatons from there on in. But it's not that way. It's not that way. And so when we're to be very careful because when we find Christ, new problems come up. And it will only be as we know how to face those problems. If you're saved and your mate's not, don't you dare go home and begin to shout about your being saved and shout about this and shout about that. Remember the words of Peter. Peter says, Wives, if you can't win your husbands by the word, win them by your chaste, and in the Greek it means loving life and conversation. You see? He says, don't go home and try to pound them in and say, you've got to listen to me. And oh, what sad lives there have been for wives and husbands who've gone off the deep end and thought, the only thing I have to do now is just go out and shout the word and, and that's going to do. That's going to win them to the Lord. And so there has to be that great care. Number one, when we come to Christ, it's not something that's going to remove all the obstacles and make it a rosy road. We're to understand there are difficulties, there are problems to be faced. Number two, that when we come to Christ, many of the problems will be personal in our own lives. It brings divisions between mothers and fathers. You face a problem immediately when you're saved. You've got worldly friends. You've got worldly loved ones. You've got a lot of problems. Whatever could make you think it's going to be a rosy road when you get saved. 
Even sometimes when a young person gets saved, they make the foolish mistake of instead of loving a mother and father and trying to show them what Christ means to them, they'll found, they will be found breaking the very commandment of God which says they're to respect their mother and father. That's the first thing. And instead of that, they'll take the attitude, I know everything now. I know the Bible. All they know is John 3.16. I know the Bible. And I've come to Jesus Christ. And they try to pound it into a mother and father instead of realizing that they're breaking the very commandments of God. They are, I always remember Jack Wurtson when I would go to the campfires up there and I remember Jack saying to all the young fellows, remember, you just got saved. It's a mountaintop experience. Now he'd say, when you go back to your mother and dad, don't you walk in the door and say, I got saved. Because he said, they'll look at you like you flipped your lid. He says, go home and don't you say a word. But tonight, when mother's in the kitchen, go in and say, Mom, could I help you? Or when Dad takes the lawnmower to go outside and you're a son, say, Dad, let me do it. He says, wait till they ask you. How come? You never wanted to do this before. What's happened? Then he says, you can say, well, now that you've asked me, I'll tell you what's happened in my heart. You see the difference? Entirely different approach than that just coming in, you know, and saying right off, I got saved. And mother and daddy look at you and say, what are you talking about? I got saved. You were saved when you were a baby. I had you baptized. Well, wait, wait, how are you going to argue? The poor kid said, gee, I forgot about that. <laughs> but oh, that we would approach these things. Gee, ten after eight already. Boy, the time flies. I got four more points. But uh, these are such tremendous things. Uh, for our, and then to remember, too, a third principle, Christianity, Christ is to be applied to every part of our lives. This is very important. If we're saved, he's not to just be applied on Sunday, all right? Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, this way. There's nothing more wrong nor fatal than this, uh, putting Christ in the compartments in our lives. You know, it's like a... Uh, Sunday comes and you say, ah, oh, now I'm a religious man, and you pick up your bag and you go to church. That's the religious bag. And then you go home that night and put the religious bag in the closet, and then Monday morning you pick up the business bag and say, now I'm a businessman. And you go and go to business. You know? Putting your life into compartments. May I remember that Christ is our, what? Life. We live and breathe and have our very being in him. All of this, no compartments in your life, but giving him the whole life. Whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do as unto the Lord Christ. Colossians 3, knowing that of him ye shall receive the reward. See? Don't compartment it. It's not religious life on Sunday with this bag and then put it away and then business life the next day with a, forget the Sunday thing, I'm a businessman now. 
No, it's the same bag on Monday as it was on Sunday. It's Christ going with you down to the business. It's Christ going... Well, let me say, it's Christ in everything. Ye are complete in him. In him. In him alone. Let us pray together. Father, we thank thee for thy precious word. Bless it to our hearts. Lord, teach us. For we realize, Father, that sometimes we think that coming to Christ is going to make life just one big rosy road to heaven, but we soon learn that there are conflicts, and that there are problems, and that when we found Christ, we not only found eternal life, this wonderful faith, this forgiveness of sins, and heaven as a destiny, but the gauntlet was thrown down with our, our, ourselves, the indwelling sin within us, the gauntlet was thrown down with Satan who never bothered us before, now he's going to bother us. And we came into a life of conflict so that Paul warns us that the flesh lusts us against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And that this goes on continually and that Satan never gives up. And we'll need the whole armor of God that's given to us in Ephesians to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, Lord, may we see it as a conflict. May we realize that we are Christian soldiers and that we have gone into the battle with the Lord. And we pray that through the Spirit of God given to us through faith in Christ, we might win the conflict. Lord, give us wisdom in all of our dealings with others and help us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. For only in him will we find that perfection, that holiness, that righteousness, which he has imputed to us through faith in his cross. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.